When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Insider Matthew Collar here inside TCO Performance Center and joining me as always for Tuesday morning left guard Jeremiah Searles and hey look at us who would have thought not me <laughs> six and four Minnesota Vikings five wins in a row without Justin Jefferson uh, I, that's where we should begin and then we'll get to Anthony Barr who you have a ton of experience with as uh, a player when you were teammates but this run what Of what do you attribute to something as special as this has been to put them right back in the middle of the playoff race, Jeremiah? Yeah, there's a couple things. You know, the the first thing I want to attribute it to is this locker room and how they all care for each other and love for each other. And it's so apparent on film, right? When you're not in a locker room, it's really hard to get a judge of, man, do do they all love each other? Do they work for each other? Do they play for each other? But when you watch the game and you see the the emotion on the sideline every single snap, guys on the offense celebrating with the defense and defense celebrating, like it's just this giant party on the sideline of emotion. And yes, you're winning, so it's a lot easier, but that carries over through the week, right? That carries over through how you work for each other through the week and guys eating lunch with each other with smiles on their faces. And then when that goes into the playing field, you're like, man, I'm playing really hard for that guy because we had lunch on Wednesday and we talked about his wife and I love that guy. And I love how he loves all my kids or whatever it may be. Right. There's so much that can go into that. And then the second thing is just how much KOC has matured as a head coach this year, you know, with way the year started people, some going, man, maybe he was a one hit wonder. Maybe he wasn't the guy, maybe this. And to see the way that he's been able to wrangle his teammates, wrangle his staff, lead them, by example, stand in front of the podium, take the arrows when he needs to, you lose your franchise quarterback. Like he has taken everything in stride and found a way to keep that team while also putting together brilliant game plans week in and week out offensively. So those two things combined are the two things that I look at and go, wow, that's a really special thing to have. And it feels a little 2017-ish at times with the ability of like adversity hits you in the face. How do you respond? Well, we just keep going next man up and going and going and going. And when you can get in that kind of rhythm as a team, you're really hard to beat when you have the talent that this team has specifically. Yeah, I'd really like more of your perspective on Kevin O'Connell here because we've spent a lot of time talking about him as as we should. I mean, considering that he pulled them out from the depths of tanking and look, (laughs) they lose any one of those games. Daniel Hunter is a Jaguar. Like like they they were going to tear this thing limb for limb if they hadn't won in Green Bay and put themselves in a position, even with a different quarterback, to potentially go chase the playoffs. And then two games in, they've been able to prepare Josh Dobbs enough. I was almost more impressed with this week because 
The Saints had a whole week to prepare for him. There's like the adrenaline rush you talk about all the time of like you're thrown into the mix and sometimes you just black out and go wild. But this week, then it all comes down. He also had a ton of attention, a ton of media, to all that sort of stuff pumping him up. And he played exactly the same, if not much, actually much better, yeah. much, much sharper than he did uh, for last week. But with Kevin O'Connell, uh, uh, tell me what it's like in the locker room as far as how you receive messages, because I, I've always been kind of two minds about this. Like, I think that it matters how you bond your group together and how you keep them all pulling the same rope. At the same time, you have a lot of guys who have been around the NFL and so forth. And sometimes I think your your culture is only as good as your last win or loss uh, inside those locker rooms. So, like, what does he do in your mind that has created this vibe among the team to be able to go through what they've gone through? Yeah, first of all, it's because he was a player. I, and I, I can't state that enough. When you play in the NFL, whether it's one game or 10 years, you understand the pressure and you understand how hard it truly is to show up to work and compete for a job and win football games in this league from the player's perspective. And when you can relate head coach to player on that type of level, there's an instant respect that is built there. And, you know, I see it in my business as an agent, right? When I go and I speak to a scout or I speak to a GM and they know that I played and I bled in between those white lines for the shield, there's just a respect factor that goes into that because like, man, you've been places that very few people have gone and you know what this means on a deeper emotional level. And so I never had a head coach that was an NFL player, but going in and putting myself in the position of if that guy stands up in front of the room, I'm instantly buying and hanging on every single word because he understands the shoes that I'm in. And when you can do that in front of the team, and then also echo the exact same message in front of the world, right? That's when you go, that guy's got our back, right? And that was an issue with Zimmer at times. That's an issue with leagues around coaches around the leagues at time, like McDaniels before he got fired, right? Like, well, I don't know this, that. Like, it has to be a continuous message, like, throughout. And that's how you keep the respect to your team. And so him knowing how to balance all of those things and knowing how to prepare and the message that he needs to send where he can get a beat on his team and how they're feeling and relate to back to how he felt at those type of moments when he was a player and know the exact right thing to say to get everyone, like you said, pulling the rope in the same direction or if someone strays, how to go and bring them back into the fold the right way, whether it's a heavy hand or a hug around the shoulder. Like he can do all of those things. And if you haven't played in the NFL as a player before, it's a really hard thing to do. But as we know, not all players are great coaches. And he's proven that he can do the X's and O's piece of it as well. And that's why I think he should be in candidate for coach of the year this year. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I think if they carry this on into the playoffs that he shoots up to that the top yeah. of that list. D'Amico Ryans is obviously yes. going to have a great, great case for it. And hey, I mean we almost never give it to the team with the best record. So like Nick Sirianni is just going to be like, what we're, we're 14 and three and like, you're not. Uh, but I guess that happens all the time. And Hey, I mean, even like the 49ers, if they kind of battle through that rough stretch. So there's other guys that are deserving. One thing that I think of with Kevin O'Connell though, is if you ever saw the clip, I don't know if you have of when he got cut on hard knocks. Do you ever see that? Mm -mm, I haven't known. Oh man. It is the most awkward thing. Would not suggest regret watching it. It's mm. so uncomfortable and not because of him. He walks into the room and the GM cuts him before he even sits down. He and the GM 
follows with berating him about how they wasted a draft pick to get him. And I was like, oh man, did they trade a high pick for O'Connell? It was like a pick swap of like sevenths or something. And he was like, we traded a draft pick for you and you just like didn't deliver on what we thought. He was like so incredibly mean to Kevin O'Connell where you're just like, dude, what? I'm sure he was trying like, wow. And I know it's a harsh business, but you don't have to like put it that way anyway. So I've always wondered if that, that treatment where the NFL can be ridiculously harsh and look, it's football. Okay. We're all tough here, but uh, so I'm not, you know, whatever. He didn't make the team and they expected him to, I get it. But I always wonder if that stuck with him, how harsh the NFL could be from a player perspective and say, you know, I don't want to be like that. Like, because the guy I wrote about his relenting optimism and sometimes it's been a little bit like, Oh, come on, come on guy. Like, what are we talking about here? We got to, but I don't think it's been, I think the key is, so I always wondered if that impacted him uh, and thought, you know what, if I get a chance to coach people, I want to do it a different way uh, in a way that would have worked for him. Right. Um, but I also think it's not delusional. You know, there's have been only a couple times where I've thought, okay, let's not just say it was only the fumbles or whatever. Um, but I also felt like when things have gone wrong last year, maybe he was hesitant because he is so optimistic to move on from Ed Donatel and make a change. Uh, but I think that they adjusted and adapted really well after the 0-3 start and acknowledged how bad it was and acknowledged how far up the mountain they had to climb. And that was a part of it, too. It can't just be like, I believe in us, guys, but I got no answers, so best of luck next week. Like I think that he's found a good balance between those two things. Yeah, and I think you're spot on with you – when you get cut from the NFL, which if you've played in the NFL, 90% of us have all gotten cut at one point in time. Like, it's a very vulnerable position to be in. It's a very tough place to be. And you remember those conversations as vivid. If I close my eyes, I can remember sitting in front of Marty Herney and Ron Rivera when they cut me in Carolina. Right? It's something that sticks with you as a player forever because it's someone telling you you're not good enough to do this. Right? And how you can perceive that and how you can look at that is a couple different ways. But the way that it's uh, like given to you is is so important, right? Because that is then how you look at yourself at times because those are the last words you heard from your NFL team of like, you were not good enough and you did this and you did that versus like, hey man, it's a tough business. This guy we felt was better than you. Like there's a truth, there's a truth measure to it too. Like don't blow smoke. Like, ah, you were so close. You're right there, right? Like, well, don't do that, but just be honest with me. And if you can carry that over into, hey, I'm going to be a head coach that cares about my players and be a player's coach. Like, I think that term gets thrown around a little bit of like too loosely of like, Oh, he's just about his players. He's a player's coach, right? Like, no, at the end of the day, you have to be a boss, right? And a boss can't be loved by everyone. Cause you have to make the hard decisions, but a boss can be really well respected and he can be loved by his team because the team, like you said, he's not, he's optimistic, but he comes in with like, Hey man, we can do this. And here's how, right? Not just like, you can do it, figure it out. You got this right when he has a plan with it and he goes through and then the team can go, yeah, okay. I can see your vision. I can see clearly what you want from us. Okay. Now it's my turn to go execute it. I'm going to do that for you. Like that's a big piece of what this team is doing for him. And you see it afterwards in the locker room where he's like, man, I told you this during the week. Like how many times do you hear that in his post game speeches? Like I told you this throughout the week, if we did these things and I told you, if we did that, we would be this. It just goes to show that he's staying on message throughout the week and he's not pivoting where, I've had coaches out on a Friday that would be like, man, great week of practice, man. We're ready. We're going to go out and do this. And then on Monday, you lose the game on Sunday. And on Monday, you come in. He's like, I knew after Thursday's practice, we weren't ready to go, boys. And it's like, okay, like, don't don't speak and don't say that, right? And you can tell O'Connell doesn't do that. 
And that just goes to just keeping a hold of the team and his ability to adapt and pivot in game is something that I think is growth from last year, right? You have a now mobile quarterback. And if I watch back this saints defense and they started out the they started out the game with like, eh, we'll just rush. We'll be fine. We'll get to him. Right. But then as they started figuring out, okay, Dobbs can run, he can run a lot. They pivoted to dropping a guy into a spy position or they pivoted only rushing three and O'Connell was able to then pivot how he called plays like on the run with a brand new quarterback. And that just shows the preparation and the time that he puts in as a play caller and not just as a head coach. I mean, that dude has to sleep three hours a night, like the amount of preparation that dude puts into every single game plan, as well as holding his team together as a head coach is really incredible. Well, it has been too long in the show since we talked about Josh Dobbs. So why don't we do it now uh, in more in detail? But it, it was quite a game for him. And each game, each drop back, each time I go back and watch the film, I'm learning new things about this guy, too, because I didn't know it was Josh Vick. Like, I, yeah. I, I mean, this and there when he actually had the touchdown run, I tweeted like that's Lamar Jackson stuff because it was like, normally if a guy is in a position in the NFL, like, Hey, I'm ready to tackle you for a quarterback. It's going to be very hard to get to that edge and get into the end zone. I mean, I know Jaron Hall got hurt on it, so I don't mean to like bring that up, but (laughs) Jaron Hall had a lane and then the lane closed very quickly and a guy hit him extremely hard. And with Josh Dobbs, like his, his velocity, like his acceleration, his agility, his quickness. I I mean, I guess, you know, look, I, I went back and watched some Arizona, but this is some special running ability that has added a new layer which I think adds not only like fun, it's fun, right? I mean, everybody was enjoying watching that, (laughs) but sort of a layer of like, well, let's see where this can take us because it's not just that the guy threw some Hail Marys. I remember I took some flack in the comment section for saying that Will Levis threw up four balloons for touchdowns. (laughs) He did. Like they were four bombs that were just thrown into the atmosphere and fell in somebody's hands. That's not how Josh Dobbs is winning. He's winning with like his skill set. And the one thing that I really noticed in this game was he actually used the pocket at times Mm. where he has like very good vision peripherally and would sense rush and step up into spots and then deliver a ball. That's something I would not have guessed for a guy who's just been basically a journeyman backup quarterback. Yeah. And you can, I mean, it's weird when I think about it. I've actually feel like I've watched quite a bit of Josh Dobbs just throughout his career because I was like, oh, he's playing today, right? Like when he was with the Steelers and then when he was with the other team, you're just like, oh, okay. And then I remember I was watching him against the Giants this year and you always kind of thought, man, this this dude's pretty all right, right? And then they end up losing or giving up a huge lead and it's like, oh, it's his fault, whatever. But when you really go back and study his tape, his development of a scramble running quarterback to a movement quarterback that keeps his eyes downfield is the big thing that's helped him come to where he is today, right? A lot of times early in his career, he would step up, like you said, in the pocket and just take off, right? But now you're seeing he's stepping up in the pocket. He feels the rush back up, and then he's escaping out the side of the pocket, or then he's backing up. His first move, which so many quarterbacks that are movement guys are, are usually trying to roll out behind outside the back of the pocket, and, you know, you see Hertz do it. You see Mahomes, Lamar Jackson do it. And sometimes it works. Other times we're getting crushed by the backside at the end. Right. But he understands. And I think because he took so many sacks in Arizona, he has figured out the way to move in the pocket the best. But what I loved is the way KOC got him on the edge with bootlegs. Right. He got on the edge with bootlegs a lot, giving him as a guy that's really new to the system, 
new to the play call. It cuts the field in half for him of where he has to deliver the ball, and it gives him the option of using his legs if all things break down. Right, So for him to do those things and deliver a few absolute dots to Addison and dots to Hawkinson on the move, on the run, was something that's a new element to this offense that's going to make defenses really have to start paying attention and what they want to do against those type of plays now. Uh, you make a great point about those. I, I'm not sure what the, I know what they're called in Madden, like the levels plays or whatever, where you yeah. have an underneath, an intermediate, and then a deep option on those rollouts. And there's a lot of times and, and like, look, Kirk is amazing on those rollouts, yep. but there are a lot of times if that isn't like right there, right away on the deeper intermediate, he's taking the short and that's probably the smart play where I was impressed with Dobbs is that he got it to the second level of that play. And it took a little bit of patience. It took a little bit of like, okay, wait, it's developing, but I'm on the move. And there's this confidence of like, no one's chasing me down from behind. Cause I'm fast enough. So he's kind of rolling out and then finds, I forget who it was, maybe TJ Hawkinson across there. Yep. And, and like, those are, those are more starter throws like that. That's a play where he could be like superstar starter backup <laughs> <laughs> level for the three levels of, of the options there. But the, the fact that he's come in and done truly starter stuff to me adds a different level of intrigue about what is going on here. So I think that now I was going to ask you for like a meter for like the blue, yellow, whatever on Dobbs, but I think I know where you're going to be. So how about this? Uh, how about a, a quick rapid fire? Talk me into, you got to talk me into stuff. Okay. So normally this, this is like the game. whole, the whole episode, but we're going to do rapid fire. Cause I've okay. got like a few of these. All right. Okay. So one is to talk me into Josh Dobbs, not having a fall off the cliff at some point here down the stretch. Yeah. KOC continues to give Ty Chandler the football, take some run game, give him a chance to get the pressure off of him and then not in the line, this defense and not have him play from behind. No, I think that will be the true test of when he has to lead a mounting comeback in the fourth quarter or those things. But if we can do those things and say, Hey, let's let Josh Dobbs operate within this offense. Let's continue to get him on the edge. Let's continue to make him work. He's not going to have a fall off of the moment cliff. But if we let him throw a couple interceptions early because we start to get too cute in our schemes because we have too much confidence in him or, hey, we're trying to throw too much at him or defense are starting to adjust and he's having to adjust, that's when it could go off the rails. But I think if we let him play within the scheme, keep Ty Chandler in the game, keep handing him the ball, I don't think Dobbs has a fall off. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about prize picks this year. But if you've missed it, here's how it works. You go to prizepicks.com, and it is simple. You pick either more or less between two and six player stat projections, and that's it. Now you're playing. So if it's X number of yards for a quarterback, you just decide, are they going to throw for more or less than that number of yards? But it works with lots of different options, receiving yards, touchdowns, even field goals, all sorts of sports as well. Prizepicks.com slash purple. Go there. Use the code purple for the first deposit match up to $100. One of the reasons I like prize picks, it is very simple to use. You see how we do it on the show real quick and easy. And then we talk about our picks and also not expensive either. You can turn $10 into $250 by nailing just a couple of picks. So go to prizepicks.com slash purple, the code purple, daily fantasy sports made easy. Talk me into Mike McCartney, who is also Josh Dobbs's agent and Kirk's agent. And let's be <laughs> honest here. This man is a legend. Uh, 
talk me into a situation where Quasey and Mike McCartney sit down at a table and they say, all right, let's talk about the quarterback. And Quasey says, all right, let's talk Josh Dobbs. Let's talk Josh Dobbs future. Talk he, me into it. He leads this team to a playoff. And especially if he leads this team to a playoff win, you can't let him walk out the building. You can't. You cannot let him walk out the building and say, we'll find better in the draft. Because you got to think, if we lead to a playoff, we're not picking in the top 15 anymore. right? We, we go to the playoffs, we're down the list a little bit. And yes, there's quarterbacks you can find down there. But if you truly think Dobbs can give yourself a chance to win, yes, you're going to have to pay him some money because he's a free agent. But you're not going to have to pay him Kirk Cousins money. And that's the difference, right? Kirk Cousins is established in this league long enough. He's going to be more along the lines of a Case Keenum type of deal when he went to the Broncos, right? Which I think was three for 36, right? Which is still a big chunk of change. It's not a rookie deal. But if you can say, I have a quarterback that I have a lot of faith that I can build around that can operate this offense with Justin Jefferson, can operate this offense with TJ Hawkinson, let's get him a weapon or let's get him another alignment. Let's get something else for him in here. Let's just take one in the hand instead of two in the bush and really believe that we can go forward with him. Talk me into the last week of the season is for the NFC North versus Detroit. Oh, man. Uh, well, first of all, Detroit is pissed off because we've already beat them beforehand, right? So they're upset. Um, oh, man, that's going to be a tough one to talk you into. A lot of it's going to come down to can this defense keep their historic run. It's not as much about Josh Dobbs. I think that if this defense can keep the historic run that they're on, that's going to be where this conversation goes. And it's all going to come back to this defense has found a way to shut down Amon Ross St. Brown, Jameer Gibbs, Montgomery, Sam Laporta. Like that offense had no ju no juice against the Vikings. And somehow Dobbs has found a way to continue to operate at a high level and efficiency. That's how we go win the NFC North. All right. Last one. Talk me into even if they make the playoffs, you still draft a quarterback. We'll talk about Jalen Daniels later, but uh, we've got we got a new man in the mix, folks. <laughs> Uh, but talk me into even if Dobbs reaches the playoffs, even if they win a playoff game, still draft a quarterback anyway. Yeah, you, you take the Kansas City Patrick Mahomes model. You say, hey, we got a guy in Alex Smith. Let's bring a guy in. Let's have him learn under you, right? You're on a three-year deal. Let's see if, you, if you're really the guy. Let's bring this guy in, mentor him, coach him, teach him, not put him in a position to fail of trying to make him play before he's ready. If we're picking late in the first, right, or maybe even early in the second if a guy's there. Like, let's bring in a guy that we think has the intangibles to be a starting quarterback in this league, but maybe still needs a little technical development, still needs a little playbook development coming from these Mickey Mouse college teams. Like, let's bring him in, bring him into this quarterback room. You were one of these guys at one point, so you know how to help him. And I know it's not your job, but based off what I've heard and know about the guy, he would take it as let me help you, let me coach you, because you never know where you might end up in this league. And let's have you two work really well together. And if you get injured, then you have a guy that can come in. But if not, you're still our guy. Okay, so just to, to take the record of what I've been talked into, the last one, absolutely, you. it's not hard because that would be my plan. <laughs> that Look, I don't care where you're drafting. Find a way to still take the franchise quarterback because, look, I mean, Josh Dobbs, we're going to ride this roller coaster and everything else, but when people want to talk about the future, I'm not ready to say, oh, yeah, well, you found your franchise quarterback here. Great pick swap, Quasi franchise QB, Super Bowl, let's go. Uh, and I also think, I mean, maybe you found also a Daniel Jones situation where the guy wins just enough and then you got to pay him and then you regret it because you didn't, you know, still draft a quarterback and put yourself in a position for the future. So that's what you want to avoid. So I would still be talking about 
looking at that draft class, I am not convinced yet that they can play Detroit on the last week of the season. This Detroit team is really something. Um, I think they can win in a lot of different ways. I've seen weeks where their defense is good. I've seen defense their defense be terrible, and they have to score 38, 40 points to, to win. The, I think they're one of the best teams in the NFC. You got a lot more to prove in order mm-hmm. to get to that point, which includes, hey, we could say the schedule is easy, but you got to win the games, right? Like, And if you don't, then I'm not going to buy into it. If, they, if you don't go to Denver and win, if you don't take care of business, yeah, you never know, right? Mm-hmm. So... So that the one's going to be tougher than we thought, I think, I just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we'll get to kind of how you feel about that. Uh, let's see. Talk, you uh, talked me into him being the quarterback next year, which I don't think is a hard one because he has more physical and raw skill uh, than I would have expected for a quarterback like this. And honestly, like with Keenum, I was all about don't sign Keenum to another contract unless you're drafting Lamar Jack. In, which they <laughs> could have done but if you're not doing that like don't like go get alex smith i guess you know cousins ends up here but it was clear that his physical skill was not going to sustain for a really long period of time and what was the other one uh what was uh, uh was that all of them that you talked me into i think that was think most that was of them it. i think that was most of them there might have been i think the, that was I most think, of them i think that was most of them those are the important ones those were those are the important ones there, there, yeah. Okay. So, so you did a good job. I, okay. I, I, there's some softballs in there. Is there anything before we move on that you want me to talk you into? Talk me into why this thing went off the rails. If it did. Oh, if, if, if it goes off the rails, yeah, I think if it goes off the rails and how do we handle it? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, it's, it's very clear how it's going to go off the rails. If it does, I don't expect it to. So not either. a prediction, but talk me into, first of all, he starts giving the ball to the other team. Uh, because in Josh Dobbs past, which is not robust of a sample size to look at, but still fumbles, sometimes scrambles turn into fumbles, maybe trying a little bit too hard. You know, you, you have it work for a couple weeks in a row and then it's like, Hey, maybe I need to push a little harder to make that great play. And you know, when I went back and looked at that first throw, that was a little risky that got tipped. I did not think, but I didn't think that anyone really had a chance to pick it off. But I did think if you throw it into coverage too many times like that, it will get picked off. So he threw, I think, five interceptions in his last four games in Arizona. That's been there. So first you start turning the ball over. The last couple weeks, we talked about their bad turnover luck at the beginning of the season. Nobody look at it over the last five weeks because it's everything has gone in their favor. Jameis Winston just throwing Hail Marys on third and three as one does. I just want to know from the Jameis Winston freaks, like what, what are you seeing that makes you think he was supposed to be good uh, or that he was wronged in Tampa Bay? So there's that also like, look, you know, Russell Wilson is playing better and you have Cincinnati and you have Detroit twice. And if you don't beat any of the decent quarterbacks because your defense has been beating up on worse quarterbacks, if it turns into a pumpkin a little bit, especially without Jordan Hicks, you could end up still going like eight, nine or, or seven and 10 if it starts to really come apart. But that at this point, though, it would really have to fall off the rails. But I think that's I think that's pretty straightforward. It's kind of the defense runs out of gas. They've had to expend so much energy to get here. And then, you know, Josh Dobbs starts turning the ball over. The running game doesn't work. And then we're back where we started. Yeah, you talk me into it because that's what all my chances? fears. Those what are, are the more- odds? 70 30 that it does that it does that it does not right so 30 percent chance it goes off the rails you know and all the things you just said but 
the running game is the one thing in there that you mentioned that is really concerning because if we can't get the running game going, we saw flashes of last year. I love Ty Chandler. I'm all I'm all aboard the Ty Chandler wagon. Madison, take a seat, right? Like I'm ready to see what you can do. If we can't continue to get that going in the right direction, I fear we're going to ask Josh Dobbs to do too much, and he's not Kirk Cousins. Like he doesn't have what Kirk Cousins has had for so many years of like, hey man, we need you to throw up 57 times today. Got it. Cool. Like if we ask Josh Dobbs to do that much, we're putting him in a position to fail because that's not who he is. Well, I'm glad you didn't ask me to talk you into trading Justin Jefferson after winning these games Never. without him. Because Never. There have been a few uh, questions about that in my why? inbox. but why? Uh, why? Why would that be a thing? Well, you know, I think what it is, is sometimes we focus so much on armchair GMing and like money ball and efficiency and everything that we lose sight of the fact that there is a salary cap that you can spend up to and you pay players who are very, very good. And uh, I don't, and, and one of the things that there was, I can always tell when someone like peaked in watching football, like, or, or when they were like 14, you know, when you're 14, you're back, this is my immaculate yeah. grid. I, every player when I'm like 12 to 14 is from that era Yeah, because I've gotten a few of like, well, how many great receivers have won the Super Bowl? And I'm like, um, AJ Brown was in the Super Bowl last year. Cooper Cup had an historic season. Jamar Chase was on the other team. I mean, how far back do you want me to go? We got Julio Jones in 2016 helped uh, Matt Ryan to an MVP season. These receivers are a pretty big deal. So we won't we won't worry about that. But I am interested to see the extra layer of Justin Jefferson working into the offense now that Hawkinson and Addison have done so well. And this is where I wanted to go next. This is not a talk me into, but I want you to talk about the offensive line and how it has come together with Dalton Reisner. And it seems to me that we just don't see those reps anymore where you're like, oh my God, guy, like coming through, like but no one touched him. Where, where did that come from? That is cleaned up massively in the last few weeks and against some pretty decent defensive lines the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, the Saints D line is nothing to, nothing to joke about. I mean, they got dudes. Cam Jordan's an all-pro player. He's fantastic. And I thought Brian O'Neill handled him really well, except for the one sack he did. I mean, Cam Jordan's really good. He got on his inside shoulder. It's going to happen, right? But for the most part, they're playing together enough that they know how to help each other really well. You're seeing Reisner and you're seeing Ed Ingram understand when they can pass to Bradbury because they have confidence in Bradbury's pass blocking this year because it's been so much better that they don't have to sit in there and sit on that nose guard for that half a second, which allows the DN to get that extra half second on one-on-one -on -one rep at the tackle. Right, So they're able to get out there and help those tackles against those werewolves making a lot of money out there to kill people. Right, So that's been a big piece in the pass protection is how well they help each other. And then in the run game, I like the scheme that we've gotten to of the more the downhill, 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 get to the edge. Right, That's over the last two weeks. I think KOC has understood Darison and Reisner are bits of brutes, so let's get them on double teams. Let's get them moving north and south. And then both O'Neal and Darisaw are extremely good athletes. Let's pin and pull and get them to the edge. And that's been the bread and butter of the run game over the last few weeks where, I mean, there was a few times in this game where Madison was actually really close to breaking some big runs. If it was just one more guy hung on for just another half second on that defensive lineman, there was a huge gap there. Or 
you know, that tight end just reaches that guy just a little bit more, right? So the run game is getting closer and getting there. And I think it's because we found more of an identity and KOC is pivoting again, like we talked about earlier in the show, he's pivoting to the strengths of his players. He understands what he has on the both tackle positions and especially what he has on that left side with those two guys. because They're very good double teamers. Henry Bradbury and Dalton Reisner are very good on like the combo blocks. And then Darison Reisner are very good on their, their combo blocks as well. So seeing how those guys have started to work together. And like you said, the quick beats are gone. The quick beats of throw your hands DeForest Buckner's around you before you can blink. Kirk's getting picked up off the turf as he throws a 500 ball up to Jefferson. Like you aren't seeing those plays on a consistent basis. Now there was times where Josh Dobbs got smacked in this game. Like a few times where, yeah, there was a clean rusher or a guy did get beat, but it wasn't late. And he took some really good hits, but it's not the guy screaming into his face where the quarterback's first read is how do I avoid this rusher? The first read is still, let me get my eyes downfield. And then if I take too long delivering the ball, then I have to start worrying about who's getting beat, where that's going. But that's everyone in the NFL. That's every single team in the NFL. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, of course it it helps when you have a quarterback that does move off his spot. I think that the offensive linemen appreciate that. Uh, well, sometimes, depending on if they roll themselves right into the <laughs> yeah. rush, then, then maybe not as much. But I, I was just pulling this up, Ed Ingram and how much better he's played this mm-hmm. year, especially after a really terrible start and seemed to be inspired when they got Dalton Reisner. He is up to right now a 60.9, almost nice, uh, pass blocking grade. Now, the thing is about a 60.9 grade is that is dead on like average, sort of, of mediocre. It is what it is, kind of. He's just a guy. But him being just a guy as your weakest point is way better than him being the floodgates that fly open and let someone kill your quarterback, which was happening last year. This year, his lowest graded game is like a 47. Last year, he had like five games below 20. I mean, where he was just getting killed to the point where you couldn't operate as an offense. If you you have guys getting beaten normally as mid-pack, run-of-the-mill guards, this is pretty good. I used to make this argument about another swing tackle guard who played backup for the Vikings. And it was you. I used to say the same thing. Like, Hey, this guy's not perfect, but he can come in and and hold on. And that's, if you have four guys who are good and one guy and Bradbury is taking this massive jump over the last couple of years. And and one guy who's kind of like, man, all right, well, that's, that's your Nick Easton. Like, that's fine. That's like, you can survive that. That's been a major part of why all of this can happen. And I think that can't be overlooked that one, if you drafted a guy who's just a guy but plays every single game in the second round, that's an okay pick for you. That's probably a good pick for you. And if you look at now the draft picks across this line, it's taken years to get there, but I think we're there. Like this is code red, good offensive line now, and we're really seeing it when a backup quarterback is not pressured instantly and has time to go through his progressions as Josh Dobbs has. Yeah, and I mean, you look at some of the backup quarterbacks that have had to come in in the league. I mean, Tyrod Taylor goes in there with a banged-up offensive line, and he gets hurt. Now you've got backup backup Tommy DeVito in there whose head is swimming and doesn't know what color the like the turf is because he's just getting murdered. And you're like, you're not giving these guys any chance, right? I mean, Josh Dobbs struggled in Arizona because they're a pretty bad offensive line. Right. And it just goes to show you that every quarterback in the NFL is talented enough to make something happen. 
but it's the great ones, right? The great quarterbacks can make something out of nothing or when they got dudes in their face, like watching Russell last night, like vintage Russell at times where he's rolling, going, throws a dart to the back of the end zone. Like those are the great quarterbacks. But when you have a backup journeyman quarterback and you can keep him clean and you have weapons on the outside, they're serviceable enough to get things done, right? And that's what Josh Dobbs is showing us. But none of that happens without Christian Derrissaw, Brian O'Neill, Ed Ingram, Dalton Reisner, and Garrett Bradbury. Like, and even I'll throw Josh Oliver in the mix because he's basically an offensive lineman, right? So those guys have shouldered the burden of understanding we have to be at our best at all times in order to give this guy behind us a chance to succeed and really just to give our offense a chance to move the football. And they're shouldering it as we are the best unit on the field. We are the best unit on this team. And they're proving it that we are one of the top five units in the NFL. Folks, I cannot believe how many sports are going on right now. And guess what? There's a way to go to all of them with affordable tickets. My friends, you are going to want to check out Game Time. It is the fast and easy way to buy tickets to any sports event that you want to attend and much, much more. One of the cool parts about Game Time is that they have flash deals on last-minute tickets and a low-price guarantee, which means if you find something lower in the section or row, they will credit you 100 You also get images of your seat locations, which I love because those maps can be a little confusing. Buy tickets in seconds and have them arrive right there on your phone. It's great. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Guaranteed. I, I, I can't disagree. And I also can't help but point out the irony that the entire time Kirk Cousins was here, they were not that good. And then he gets hurt when they are that good. And we don't get to see the full season of uh, Kirk Cousins playing behind an elite offensive line. And, and look, if you bring back Dalton Reisner, nobody's got to leave. Uh, They traded away the one guy uh, in Ezra Cleveland. So this can stay together and this can go forward and also talks about, you know, or speaks to the rookie quarterback, young guy. Like these are all young offensive linemen who could be together for quite some time. And you try to put together like a Philadelphia type thing where it's year after year after year. And then boy, a play caller can do a lot more when he's got four seconds to throw the football. It's just remarkable how much that changes. So that all, again, makes the argument for can this keep going down the stretch? If it's going to, these next couple games are so vital. Like you, yeah, do I expect them to reel off eight wins in a row total? No, I I think probably two out of these next three. Maybe you have a clunker mixed in there. You come out of that bye week, Vegas, and you've got uh, down the stretch, then a very difficult uh, Mm -hmm. schedule at the end of the season. Denver, what is your feeling on facing Denver? Because this team is really emerging. They got a little bit of help from the Bills, like a ton of help, a truckload of help uh, from the Bills, but that wasn't their only win. Wilson looks a lot more like the old Russell Wilson than he did. Looks like that team has kind of fought through it when they were miserable before. This becomes something we looked at as a gimme game that is now quite another test for them to go on the road with uh, Josh Dobbs. Yeah. This Broncos team baffles me a bit because against Kansas city, right? Everyone was like, Oh, Mahomes had the flu. The five turnovers were a fluke. 
But then they go and they do the same thing against Josh Allen. And so at what point do you say it's not as much about the other offenses and the flukes and the poor decisions, but maybe this defense has figured something out, right? And that, for me, it's the Broncos' defense that has really kind of turned them around for me. Like, they've always been pretty good, but them taking the ball away is what's given the offense a chance to go score. You know, and at times last night, you're like, there's vintage Russ, but then at times, like, there's the Russ we all know from last year. Like, so you don't really know what you're getting from him, but the emergent of Cortland Sutton has had a great year. Jerry Judy, ever since he got called out by Steve Smith on the field, seems to have figured it out a little bit. Um, you know, and then they've kind of had a running back by committee thing going on with Pirine and McLaughlin's the speedster. Like there's not really a guy on that offense where you can point like there's the Justin Jefferson, right? There's the dude that's going to beat us, but they're playing complimentary football on the offense. They're running the football. Well, you know, they've got two pretty solid tackles in McGlinchey and Bowles as well. And then they brought Ben powers in, in the off season. So they have on paper, a very competent football team. They've been the team that's gotten in their own way. And in the last few weeks, they've started to get out of their own way a little bit and operate within that Sean Payton scheme. And they have a ton of confidence. Like their confidence is through the roof. Yes, they they lost on a they, they won because DeMar Hamlin was out on the field, unfortunately, as the 12th man and they lost a football game. But as you know, that's the nature of the NFL. Right, that, that happens. The ball bounces your way or it doesn't. And finding a way to win week in and week out is extremely difficult to do. And they have a lot of confidence winning two games coming in here. This is two very confident football teams walking into this game. And I also think that Denver is an extremely hard place to play. I mean, yes. you've got, you know, the air and the atmosphere and everything else. And when they've been a good team, uh, they take advantage of that. And their defenses, even as they've been a bad team, like usually their defenses have been pretty good. And I think that building plays a role in it. As you know, there's something I've been thinking of lately with Kevin O'Connell and how this team turned around is when you have a really good coach, if you have a top seven, eight coach in the league, you're probably never going to be truly terrible. Uh, unless it just goes off the rails and Bill Belichick is old now and doesn't know what he's doing anymore and whatever, and they have terrible quarterback play. But for the most part, these coaches are going to find a way. And we have seen that, I think, from Sean Payton, where he has battled through and found a way. So this is a guy who is as good as anybody at scheming against your defense. It's not the first drop eight or the first blitz that he's had to scheme for. So that battle will be very, very interesting. Uh, do you think that they win the game? I do. I do think I I think that they win the football game based off of their confidence, their ability, and they are more talented on offense than the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos have taken the football away, but they have yet to take advantage of those turnovers and really kind of light up the scoreboard. Right? I mean, you have as many turnovers as you do against the Bills last night. You should score more than 23 points, right? That's just the nature of the business. I think if we can take care of the football, we're talented enough that we should go out there and be able to outscore this team as long as the defense continues to play the way they have, which I don't see any reason why they shouldn't. Like They have proven me and us wrong time and time again of when's the letdown, when's the letdown, when's the letdown. I see no signs of letting this down, especially with bringing Anthony Barr back. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did not get to talk about Anthony Barr. I forgot about that. Okay, all right, quick quick take. That We got too caught up on Talk Me Into quick take uh he's been you know kind of a debated player over the years i always wanted to defend anthony barr because i just believed mike zimmer's explanation of his intelligence the green dot the games that linebackers and quarterbacks play he was the master of that if there to me it's really hard to find anybody better than this guy with his experience and what he's done in the league 
to replace Jordan Hicks when it seems like, you know, he's just coming out of surgery. It might be a few weeks, if at all, with Jordan Hicks, considering the severity of his injury. So welcome back, Anthony Barr. I'm excited to see Brian Flores with Anthony Barr because you talk about a guy physically, this dude looks like a defensive end. Like, and he played it in college. I played against Anthony Barr at UCLA when he was a defensive end. But then he talks about the range and the speed. And yeah, he's a little bit older now, but like the range that he used to have when he played linebacker was pretty incredible. So now you're going to have Brian Flores be like, hey, listen, we're going to line you up over the B gap and you rush the guard. And then on the next play, you're going to be over here in the slot dropping over into cover two. Like, and he can do all of that because of the experience. And I am excited to see the key roles that he plays in this defense. I also think it brings a little energy back to the city, right? You talk about like from 2017, what is CJ ham, Harrison Smith and Daniil Hunter, right? You bring back some of these guys that he's not going to ask to be an every down linebacker, right? I don't think that's why they brought him back, but you bring him back in. Like imagine the first sack Anthony Barr has in us bank stadium, right? That place is going to absolutely explode, Right. And so you bring back a little bit of that to the fan base, too, on top of what a great player he can be and the schemes that he can be. Like, I thought he played pretty well in Dallas last year. Like, I don't think he lost a whole step. And I think that he's just getting a little bit old, older here. But I think it's a great signing. Super excited to see him back in purple. There was a, another thing uh, just with Anthony Barr. The way that he left, he kind of, in his final press conference, kind of let out a little bit of his frustration about. I think being criticized for his contract and how he was used and so forth. And I always kind of thought like, man, do you know how many people in the stands have these 55 jerseys and social media will do a weird thing to people sometimes. And I think Anthony Barr was on Twitter a lot and saw a lot of stuff that was said about his contract and Hey, some quote, you know, quotes from his own coach mm -hmm. that maybe could have been avoided probably, uh, you know, and things like that. And it's a little bit of a, I don't know, like it's a chance to have another shot at it, to, to go out as a Viking in a different way for a guy who made four Pro Bowls and was a really, really good player for a very long time. And I guess sometimes I think of like, I wish that these guys wouldn't look at Twitter at all and they could just, you know, it wouldn't get in their head and they, they could enjoy their millions of dollars and how pretty much everyone in this 60,000 people likes you. You know what I mean? But Twitter has a way of making it feel like everybody hates you. That is uh, a good segue into love to see it, hate to see it. I mean, do you want to say it or do I want to say it? Uh, Buffalo Bills, <laughs> hate to see it. Your thoughts? Yeah, man, that's tough to see when you see a team that it's like one week, they've got it figured out. And then the next week, just total and utter implosion. And I really don't understand the Ken Dorsey firing. I really don't. Like, Ken Dorsey's not throwing the interceptions, right? Ken Dorsey's not fumbling the football. Overall, I feel like Ken Dorsey puts together pretty good game plans. He spreads the ball around between Diggs and Davis, and Kincaid's emerged, right? James Cook is starting to get a little more confidence in the run game. I feel like they just kind of felt like, who has to fall on the sword here? It ain't going to be Josh Allen. It ain't going to be Sean McDermott. You, Ken Dorsey, you drew the short straw, so now you're out. Like, that's just – you fire an offensive coordinator mid-year, you're basically turning it in. Right? You're basically like, all right, well, we're not making the playoffs. This isn't going to work. Like, this is kind of a panic move by the Bills, I felt like. Um, and it's not going to end well. You got Trayvon Diggs tweeting at his brother. He's got to get out of there. Like, this is where you start to see teams start to unravel a little bit, and Sean McDermott's going to have to really earn his paycheck over the last half of the season here. I think uh, there's a moment that Sean McDermott's going to regret for his entire rest of his life, which is after the 13 second thing, he took basically no responsibility at the podium. Everybody saw it. 
Everybody read about it. Everybody heard it. And I don't think the trust factor with him has been the same since. And it feels like every game where they're in the big stage, they melt since then. And you just wonder, like, I don't know, you don't, you know, you didn't get a ring. That was maybe the closest you're ever going to get. And then every loss is Armageddon for you. Every, you know, you lose to the Jets and it's like, should McDermott get fired? Like it's a conversation. And I trust me, I've been at the center of those in Buffalo. <laughs> They're not like Minnesota. Okay. No. They are not like Minnesota. It is fire this guy yep. now. Get Scorched him out of there. I, yeah. I guarantee you he got pummeled uh, on the, uh, the local media circuit uh, after that game, which he of course deserves, but um, th- th- it seems like he's lost them a little bit. And it's so funny, though, to look at the numbers and see them as the third best EPA per play offense and be like, get out of here, offensive coordinator. Now, that seems pretty silly uh, to me, but kind of reminds me of a couple of situations that I saw in the past of what a coach freaking out is basically what we saw in 2016 and in 2018 from Mike Zimmer. So I have seen that before, but uh, my love to see it is Jaden Daniels. 350 passing 200 plus rushing. What? I also saw a, a former uh, scout who now does content stuff. Dan Shanka had Daniels as his QB two. What? All right, let's go. Let's, let's turn on the fire. Let's uh, let's get the hype train going. I mean, he's the most fun player in college football right now, which I think you wouldn't have predicted before the season with Caleb Williams playing, but, I enjoyed the absolute heck out of that football game. And uh, I am intrigued. He's undersized, but it's not undersized Bryce Young undersized. It's nope. like runs a four, four undersized <laughs> and uh, pretty, pretty special. I think what he's doing at LSU. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of him. I'm a big fan of that whole LSU team. You know, I like the way that they play the game, how they got talent everywhere as to be expected. But he is a linchpin of like a, he could be a, a game changer in the NFL but he has a lot of risk that comes with him. And that's the scary thing when you're talking about drafting guys high like that of like the argument of ceiling versus floor. His is very, very large, right? It could be next Lamar Jackson running out this thing, or you could be looking at him going, oh boy, we made a mistake. This isn't going to end well for us, right? And you just don't really know, but that's what makes the draft so much fun and so unpredictable. But he's definitely earned the right to be in the conversation with Penix and... Caleb Williams and Drake may and those type of guys based off of his play this year. If I'm going down, this was my feeling on Anthony Richardson. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail with a dude who is an absolute psychopath athlete. Like, Hey, look, would you, you know, like Anthony Richardson had the best combine ever. I'll take it. I'll take my chances. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. All right. What is yours? Love to see it. Hate to see it. It's kind of a weird thing. My love to see it is Bill O'Brien screaming screaming at oh my gosh why am i blank on his name mac or, jones mac jones after he threw that like little shovel bubble pass that should have been a touchdown and leaves it 12 yards short i mean and to see him on the sideline just bah, 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 and mac jones just like I, I, I don't i don't know what happened like and then you see like belichick's like rubbing his temples like it's it's not a love to see it on the fact like I love to see the Patriots implode, but I just love to see when coaches are still getting after players like that at the next level because it's very rare you see a quarterback coach get after a quarterback in game like that, and it was one hundred percent warranted. And Bill O'Brien's always kind of been a hard ass like that, 
like and to see him be able to go and get after him it, it, it kind of was a love to see it for me of like all right there's still some there's still some fight in some of these offensive coordinators out there that'll push back well you know how i feel that that tom brady not overrated <laughs> not overrated you know what what bill belichick failed to understand was that when you have tom brady you can go get like Dante Stallworth or Jabbar Gaffney and just be like, all right, make something out of this. And then he would. But when you do not have Tom Brady, you can't go get Devonte Parker and Juju Smith Schuster and just be like, we're good. <laughs> and the crazy thing about that team is they've been in a bunch of games mm -hmm. that they should have won. This should be, and the East isn't as tough as we thought it was going to be. They should be right there. But they've just put, they have run out one of the most atrocious offenses in the league. And their quarterback has lost all confidence to the point where he doesn't even know where he's going with the football. That is a total disaster. And it's hilarious that you use that for your love to see it. Yes, it is. It's my love to see it just because I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew up hating Tom Brady. And there's just something about like hating the Patriots that's like in my subconscious. But I watched that and my wife was even, I was like, look, look at that. Like I had the red zone on those four things. It was just flashes to just Bill O'Brien just berating Mac Jones. I was like, ah, look at that. That's so funny. So I don't know. Love to see it for me on that end. Um, I got one more for you. The love to see it is the Big Ten just pointing fingers at everybody, right? Like Michigan gets caught with their hand in the cookie jar, and then they go, well, Ohio State put the cookies in there, right? And then everyone else is just like, it's your fault, your fault. Like we're going to try out TRO against you, but you can't coach during the week, or you can coach during the week, but not on Saturdays. It's such a disaster, and it's so fun to just sit back and watch and just go, all right, what's going to come out today? Right? Like, who's going to finger point today? The whole Michigan thing in the Big Ten has just been pure comedy over the last six weeks. I want to shout out, I believe it was Jenny Taft on the sideline, where the coach comes over <laughs> after the game, yes. and he starts crying bawling. and swearing. Right, bawling <laughs> and swearing at the same time. Like, okay. And Jim Harbaugh, as far as I know, is alive still. So like <laughs> that made it weird. Uh, but okay. I mean, wow. Emotional game, emotional game. But so she holds the mic up and even as he's F bombing, I love the bleep out of these guy, whatever. She just leaves the mic right there. Like, <laughs> let's just see how this plays out. And then like, I can't pull it away. Now he's already cussed four times. What difference does it make? Like the, you know, and then she goes, Thank you, coach. And I'm like, that's amazing. She didn't even turn to the camera like, oh, sorry about the language. She's yeah. like, I don't know. Like, you saw it. You saw it. Yeah. Blake Corum, what do you think? Like, it was it was super well done by her. Just low-key, not moving the mic at all. And then just not even, like, trying to play it off. Like, oh, I guess he's emotional. She's like, thanks, coach. Just perfect. Love to see it. I'm with you, though, as far as, like, after that game, if you were to just put that on for a random football, like, a random person that's, like, a casual football watcher, right, like, doesn't follow college football and, like, be like, oh, my gosh, what happened to their head coach? Like, you would literally think, like, he died on the way to the stadium, right? Like, he was walking in and fell and hit his head and died, and these boys had to go out and play for their coach. Like, the dude's still there six days a week. Like, it, it by the way, game days, not that hard as a head coach. Like in college, you just like, especially he's not even a coordinator. He's just kind of running up in his cleats and a hype man. Like in college, he's just kind of a guy. And everyone else made it seem like he was dead six feet under and never coming back. Dude, Also, remember those uh, cell phones that used to have the walkie talkie built in? Yeah. <laughs> he's up in the stands with one of those anyway. Like, you know, he's wearing some big old sunglasses, fake mustache. He's just yeah. like, 
Hand it off again. JJ McCarthy's <laughs> not that good. Psh, out. Harbaugh yeah. out. Psh. Yeah. Hey, 27 runs in a row. Go. <laughs> we did that with Neil Anderson in the 80s. Psh, out. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, in today's age, to think he doesn't have some way, shape, or form communication. One of my buddies was like, remember those AWS commercials for the for the deaf kid that has like the thing in his like in his helmet? They're like Harbaugh's got one of those somewhere on the sidelines, just speaking to someone in complete code. <laughs> oh man, I, college football has absolutely blessed us this year. Oh, so I've tried it's been so good. It's been I've so, tried it's, to enjoy oh, it's it. so close to being over too, which makes me so sad. Uh, well, what's not over is the NFL season. Nowhere close. We have many more. Tuesday morning left guards to go and I look forward to them. So great stuff from you as always, Jeremiah. And uh, every Tuesday we will be here. So thanks everybody for watching and we will catch you next time. Football. Football.